Hello and welcome to LDS Transitions. I'd like to welcome you out. And uh, today I want to talk about a letter that my bishop wrote, not to me, but to the whole ward. Uh, and I'm bringing this up as part of a reflection as far as someone that's transitioned and why it's difficult. Um, you know, I'm kind of stuck in a place because my wife has a very strict narrative of what she believes, and she hasn't opened that door. So I've talked about, about you know, when someone's opening their life to Christ, they need to open the door. We see that painting of that, you know, that uh, of Christ knocking and there being no door handle. He can't open the door unless we let him in. Same with any sort of change of belief. We have to be willing to open any door to reflect on um, what's there. And so my wife isn't willing to open any door. Um, and she's expecting me to hop back in her door and bolt it up shut tight and strong and where I'm always living in that narrative and I can't anymore. You know, cognitively I can't process things to the old narrative and I can't reformat the narrative. So here's the email. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, each of us is a son or daughter of heavenly parents with precious potential. So I think it's kind of cool that he brings up heavenly parents, right? Um, their love is evidence uh, in their offering of Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer. So far, so good, right? In the book of John, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, sometimes we fail to read the subsequent verse in the complementary principle. For God sent not his Son into the world con to, contem to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So everything so far in the email is pretty copacetic. I mean, I wish he would have come out and said Heavenly Mother, right? Um, I, I think that would have been a little bit better, you know, but for the most part, he's coming across fairly good, right? And so he says, Many of us feel like we aren't good enough, that we can't measure up to God's expectations of us, that we aren't worthy of being saved, and that as a result, we separate ourselves from God and His love. Some of us quickly condemn the beliefs or actions of our fellow men while failing to see in our own faults and deficiencies. So, one concern there is that he says, as a result, we separate ourselves from God and His love. And that's a narrative that I have a hard time with. You know, President Nelson came up with a talk on conditional love, and there's been kind of a couple talks out there. I think one was an Enzyme article, one was a talk in General Conference in like 2003 or something, I forget. Go look it up! It's just so touching. No, it's... It's a concept that I've always had a problem with in my life as far as conditional love. I always felt like my love with my relationship with my dad was based on how well I was doing. Was I worthy? I felt like my relationship depended on my worthy and how loyal I was. And 
that's a perception that I haven't cared for at all in my whole life. And so it's a little bit of a trigger that he talks about separating ourselves from God and his love. I've been at times in my life that have been very dark, that have been sinful times in my life, where I didn't feel worthy, where I very much felt God was in my life, and I felt God in my life and God's love. Now, having transitioned, I interpret things a little bit differently, um, you know, but that's not my point to put my points out there. I'm just saying that's what I used to look at, and that's what's bothersome to me now is that I don't see, if you're going to believe in God, I don't see that he separates himself, his love from you. If he is our Heavenly Father and we come from Heavenly Parents, a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother, and we're to relate it to our own experiences of having children here on earth and having a bond to them, you know, I don't have any biological children. But my bond to my children is there. It is there. And I love them deeply. And... I just don't see where conditional love comes in anywhere, anywhere. And so I don't buy it. And I wish that that would not have been part of his email. And so there's that literal aspect that's very difficult for me. It's like, okay, that's where usually I would tune him out and say, yeah, whatever, you're being literal, you're, you're being definitive, you're putting stuff in a given box and saying this is how it is and it has rigidity to it. I'm like, no, I don't buy that. I'm not going to go and say that God, that we separate ourselves from God and His love. I don't know anybody that doesn't doesn't want love in their life, let alone from God. Oh, I'm too upset, I don't want God's love. You may not recognize it as God's love, but I don't see it ever leaving, and I don't see people fleeing from it. If anything, those that are in pain or suffering, they're needing that love. And they might fight back against it in certain ways, but God's a big boy, and he knows how to love them and love them the right way, right? If there's mental health professionals understanding how to help a narcissist feel love, and you're a narcissist... God's going to know better than the psychiatrist, right? At least in the narrative that there is a God. So anyway, so, you know, you can see my, you know, just the small things. Um, you know, I realize he means well, but it's hard for me to worship and consider worshiping when things are so finite, okay? So... He goes on to say, um, oh, I'll read this again. Some of us quickly condemn the beliefs or actions of our fellow men while failing to see our own faults and deficiencies. While God does not and cannot condone sin, he sent his son to lift us up, redeem us from the condemnation, and bring upon ourselves and exalt us. Any feelings to the contrary come directly from Satan and should be dismissed as lies. Rather than listening to these lies, I invite you to put God to the test and hear Him. Okay, so many triggers. Let me back up. First off, he says, Some of us quickly condemn the belief or actions of our fellow men while failing to see our own faults and deficiencies. What does that have to do with anything? He hasn't addressed that. So, 
I don't know the reason for his email. Usually when a leader or someone sends an email, it's because something's gnawing at them, right? So maybe it's because there's bickering or something going on in the ward. I don't know. Um, and with the political tensions and everything, I wouldn't be surprised, right? So he doesn't really address that as far as people find, finding fault, right? So he goes on to then say, while God does not and cannot condone sin, he sent his only son to lift us up, redeem us from the condemnation and to exalt us. So my concern there is that this concept of God cannot condone sin, right? So I want to use a, a parallel there. Let's say that you're a major, a mayor in a city, and you know, as a mayor, you have responsibility over obeying the laws, and so you have a police force, and you oversee, you know, the the police chief, and as far as governing, and if a citizen in your city, you know, commits a crime or breaks an ordinance or whatever. It can't be condoned, right? In the least degree, right? The thing is, is that man's laws aren't perfect, right? Supposedly God's laws are. Um, but we receive them from man. And so, like, what's on the law books one year might be different from another year. But a hundred years ago, it's considerably different. Two hundred years ago, you know, things just don't mesh up. And so, what we have is... God doesn't condone sin in the least degree, but we also have a different paradigm and complexity in that Christ gave us two great commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor. We don't have a comparison in, to that in the law books of, well, yeah, these are the two great ones, you know, and if you obey that, then everything's going to kind of fall in line, right? Um, because if... I just don't see how God can can say that he doesn't condone sin in the least degree, but yet there's two great commandments. What does it matter? If you commit, you know, if you commit petty theft to feed your family because you're starving and then your neighbor kills somebody, God doesn't look at those in the least degree of allowance, right? Now, there might be a greater punishment, right? But God doesn't condone sin. Um, and so I get that, you know, God's going to forgive and stuff. But, but maybe the sin should be greater on the people that have and that didn't give. Rather than the person that is out wandering, can't find food for his kids, commits petty theft. You know... If, do you see where I'm going? I don't like them talking about God cannot condone sin. To me, that's putting a finite line down. And it's like, okay, so now you're giving a rule where you can justify giving judgments out as being a judge of Israel. Because doesn't that mean you can't condone the least bit of sin? And what do we consider sin? Many religious organizations consider LGBTQ 
A plus I, etc., etc., whatever it is. Um, and I'm not trying to be flippant by whatever means. Um, I do just want to, I'm sure I missed, and I want to be inclusive. So LGBTQ plus, you know, I know I'm leaving out some there. But my point is, is that I'm tired of hearing doctrine of what is a commandment and what is a sin, but yet over hundreds of years doctrines have changed. Give me an LDS doctrine that hasn't changed. Give me a policy that hasn't changed. You know, just like man has changed laws, we've seen the church's policies and doctrines change. And so what's really from God? Who's really the author and what is actually there? And I'm not talking about the mysteries of God, I'm just talking about in general. So you see where my mind goes, right? As someone being transitioned, it's like, don't talk to me as far as the finite stuff. Let's use symbolic representation, okay? And so, does that mean I don't want people to obey the law? No. I'm not using that parallel to say that people shouldn't obey the law. That's a completely different matter. Um, but, uh, let's see. And then he says, Any feelings to the contrary come directly from Satan and should be dismissed as lies. Rather than listen to these lies, I invite you to put God to the test and hear him. Oh, so many triggers there. One, I don't believe there's a Satan. I believe the evil is within us. And we can choose what to do with that evil and to get rid of it and to reflect on our own selves, right? And so this I just throw out. But I'm thinking of the believing member and the crap they have to deal with. You know how much I thought that Satan was on my shoulder constantly telling me what to do and what I shouldn't do? It's like, bullshit. It's, give me a break. So, you know, any feeling to the contrary, to, to the contrary of what he doesn't say, you know, um... I guess he's talking about the contrary about God not condoning sin, you know, and that we'll have condemnation we bring on ourselves. Um, you know, if we don't have Christ, we're going to have condemnation that we will bring on ourselves. And everything else is from Satan. And it's like, you know, having had a transition and living outside of Utah, it's like, whatever. It's like, there are so many, so many good people. 
the LGBT community gets it. I mean, sure, you're going to have people in every aspect that are different places and different emotional states and mental health and everything else. And no, I'm not using mental health with the LGBTQ. I'm using that in general. Um, I see LGBTQ being far more healthy mental state-wise. Yeah, they might have trauma, right? Um, and crap that they have to deal with. But someone that's been through that and, you know, has been able to center their life, I see being so much more healthier than probably so many other people just because they've dealt with so much. They get it. They get, you know, that, hey, people matter. Humans matter. Humanity matters. Um, anyway, so the the whole everything else is from Satan type narrative, it just pigeonholes people into thinking how awful they must be because they have these given feelings or these ideas coming in their head or this stimuli or whatever and or hey someone got angry with their neighbor or with their with the people that sit on the bench behind them in the pews um because of their political views or whatnot <laughs> it's just like yeah that's from satan no that's from within that's our own stupid imperfect crappy selves right it's like it's not someone over our shoulders it's like, give me a break. Um, so that's where it's very hard. And and part of that comes from, you know, my fight with my own personal struggles and how I've conquered them on my own. You know, people are like, you know, there's this fear of you leave the church and all of a sudden Satan has you. I feel more free from Satan than ever. I don't believe that there's a Satan. It's all a bunch of hogwash. It's a myth. It's a way to cause fear. So he goes on to say, Those who attend the sacrament meeting in person or via Zoom heard me extend two invitations which I would like to extend to all within our ward, ba ward boundaries, members or not. And I just think that's hilarious because he's sending it from his LDS account, right? And so, hi, church, you can probably track me down now because you know that you could probably find this email, right? Yay! Um, and, uh, but what non members are going to get this? Who, me? <laughs> I'm still a member. If you're not a member, you probably don't have their email address from your LDS account that you're sending it from. And so what are you going to do? Go knock on the door and piss people off? Um, so I think it's interesting, this authoritative approach of this grandiose, uh, hey, he has priesthood power and keys for the whole area of the ward boundary. Um, so I just think that that's kind of... A narrative that I don't share anymore, you know, and that I kind of find ludicrous. 
So he invited, he said, it's coming fast Sunday, I invite you to fast and pray for healing. Okay, so healing for what? That's the end of the period, that, you know, period, healing, period. And it's like, okay, healing for what? Well, he says, pray that we will be healed from the effects of COVID-19. The effects of it. So not that it will be eradicated, just the effects of it. Okay. Fast and pray that you can be a healing influence in your home, family, and community. How are you to be a healing influence? Okay, maybe he says on. Fast and pray that you might be a healing influence for the social, political, and economical cha challenges we are facing. I promise that as you do this, you will hear God giving you an invitation to act. Act in faith by following those promptings, and I promise you, you will find healing in your life. Be healing influence to someone else. You will feel God's love for you and those who he prompts you to minister. I'm just like, I'm going to feel God's love regardless if I do the fasting and praying for healing. Did you know I'm fasting, or I'm not fasting, I'm praying with my wife each night, right? And I usually always talk about those that are sick, that they can heal, right? Um... There's a lot of people that have been affected by COVID, and it's not a joke. But here's a man that has priesthood keys, that has the holy priesthood of Melchizedek that came from Peter, James, and John, that was given to Joseph Smith, that was given to Brigham Young, and so on, all down the chain, and now this bishop holds it. And part of those things that they Hold are the blessings to be able to heal. And so is healing the sick the type of talks he's healing, talking about? They're not specific, just like President Nelson wasn't specific in healing the sick. He talked about healing, and he's using a lot of the same language. I'm just like, where's your power? Why do we need fasting and prayer? Why don't you just go and heal? Why don't you go around and just heal everybody? Why don't you go to the hospitals? Have you not sufficient faith? I think if you exercise your priesthood and go and try to heal, I think you'll realize that your power to heal is mute, and they'll cast you out of the hospital because you're interfering with patients and spreading germs. But they're not specific enough on the healing, right? Because part of the healing, you're supposed to anoint with oil, right? And so it must not be for a healing of sick. So it must, must just be our politics and our... And, uh, you know, our economic issues, right? Um, why didn't he say, you know, pray for the leaders, right? Because if the leaders of the country had any brains, they would have they been seeing a lot 
more issues, right? They would have seen a lot more things that they could have done. And, you know, if they were in tune to God, or if the prophet of the church was really prophet and could see things in the future, as a seer should be able to, with his seer stones, I say stones because there's more than one, really there should be like, what, 15 at least right now? Um, but yet none of them contacted China, none of them contacted the, the, you know, and said, hey, look, there's this flu outbreak, we want to let you know that, you know, re you really need to shut down travel and it's really going to cause issues. Did they do that? So, yeah, my, my views are quite different, you know. It's uh, it's not faith based in a stringent literal narrative. My beliefs are more of, hey, I think that's great that you're praying and fasting for others, but what are you really trying to tell your congregation? And when he says you will feel God's love for for you and those to whom you prompt, he prompts you to minister. Don't you feel love, God's love for you right now? And for those that you minister? Why do you need to fast and pray for it? And why aren't you already fasting and praying for it anyway? I mean, President Nelson already did it. Did it not work? Was there not a church-wide fast? Why are we doing it another one in our area? Are we going to see miracles that we haven't seen in others? Believe it or not, this virus is a real thing, and it will go away when it goes away, when it goes through its course. And it will probably only go away because of a vaccine. If then, it might turn into a common cold where it's changing sufficiently over time and spread so quickly that it may never go away fully. So, number two, October 3rd, through 3rd and 4th. We have the opportunity to be taught by those we sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators. Over the next month, reread the past general conference talks with the intent to identify a personal question you can take to the Lord during this upcoming general conference. Oh, okay. I have one. So, Elder Uchtdorf, you talked about us being unruly children. Is that still the case? <coughs> Do you still consider me as an unruly child? Then screw you. I don't want to hear from you. President Oaks, do you still hate LGBTQ and suggest to families that, you know, you don't have them in your home? If you don't feel comfortable, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, let your children stay in your home regardless, no matter what. I mean, that's a family matter. Right? But you know, to kick them out just because they're LGBTQ, that's ludicrous. And I think a lot of people have heard over that. Um, and there's so many more. It's like, no, he didn't talk about that in the last, last conference, right? Um, should we stay in the boat? I know that was Ballard's talk a while back. So, I don't know. 
I don't want to review the past ones because they're triggering and they're not helpful and they're belittling and they marginalize. So I'll probably skip on that one. Um, As you attend conference with questions in mind, your Savior will teach you directly, personally, and intimately as you listen to the words of his ordained representatives. Okay. So the Savior will teach me directly, personally, and intimately. So the Savior himself has a physical body that's been restored. So that means that for him to teach me directly, personally, and intimately, and not the Holy Ghost, that means the Savior will be in my house. And I will have to be able to see him because he has a physical body, right? Because if he's going to teach me, I have to be able to hear from him and communicate back and forth, right? Okay. Um, I don't understand the intimately part. I would like some clarification on what you mean by intimately. Um, Okay, I promise that he will answer your questions and teach you how to better hear him. You will feel more worthily loved and needed. So I'm I'm concerned that you're implying that I don't better hear him already. That I'm not already feeling worthy, and somehow I'll feel more worthy. But yet aren't we as dross and as, you know... You know, and no one's worthy than more everyone's of the dust of the earth. But yet we're talking about being feeling more worthy. Why is that a thing? We're all the dust of the earth. <sighs> Loved and needed. Well, that's okay, whatever. Um, why are you not feeling needed? Is that because your congregants aren't feeling needed? and loved which reminds me I haven't gotten any phone calls or email conversations from you at all since COVID started hmm so yeah okay that's okay the black sheep doesn't need you um you know and it's not your calling to reach out You know what? I bet if you fast and pray, I'll be on your list for you to reach out to me. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, maybe you can help me feel more loved. Interesting. All right. So he then goes on to say, God lives, he knows you, he loves you, and desires to bless you. Awesome. Um, And then he says... Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and Redeemer and has experienced all that you have and will yet experience. Okay, so he understands women's health issues. Okay, I don't buy that. Um, He understands what it's like to have children. As far as I know, Christ didn't have any children. And he knows what it's like to have children that no longer believe in God. Um, He understands what it's like to have a faith crisis. Um, 
Does he understand what it's like to live with the bishop? Oh, he probably does. It's too literal and takes too many steps on Sunday. Yeah, he does. Okay, that's cool. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm being snide. As you seek to act on the counsel and promptings he gives you, you will more clearly hear him speaking directly to you. You will find his personal plan for your happiness. Ah, oh, but isn't that in my patriarchal blessing? So is that lost for some of the members? You know, so... I know he means well, right? But really, it's like... So if I was bishop and I'm just doing this off of out of thin air, I didn't write or think about it ahead of time, I probably would have said, Dear members, please know that we love you. Please know that things are very difficult and stressful right now, and we want to know how we can help you. Please know that God loves you, that even though sometimes... God can feel distant. He loves you. And if you'd like to have prayers or any blessings in your homes, we're happy to travel to your home and give you priesthood blessings. If you'd like to receive a priesthood blessing over the phone, as far as, uh, you know, we can't lay our hands on you or anoint you, and so it'd be a, a blessing over the phone, we're happy to do that too. We're happy to pray with you. We feel for each one of you. And you're in our thoughts. And we're trying to reach out more. And we are so sorry if you feel lost. If you feel unnoticed. Right now a lot of people are just stuck at home. And it's so hard. You know, you turn on the television and you see so much divisiveness. The world is a troubled place right now. And, you know, but we're saints in the latter days. And the Lord believes in us. And I think we can do more to help people come unto Christ and to try to find love, even in these divisive times. And I seek for you to seek God. I ask you to consider seeking out God. If you aren't currently, to know what what God would have you do to maybe help his children here on earth. We are all angels unto God to help him. We all have the Holy Ghost to be able to lift us. And even if you don't feel worthy or ready or you don't feel accepted, or maybe you feel like sometimes that God just, you know, we're not enough and that we don't measure up. I just want to tell you, you do measure up. No matter where you're at right now, you, measure, you matter to God. You matter to us. And I want you to stand up and to praise God. And to give Him thanks. And then help those around you. Give a smile. Help them feel of His love. You know? Think of... What can I do to help others feel of Christ's love during this time? What can I do to serve? You know, I was at Home Depot 
a few weeks ago, and there's a young man that came up asking for money. He reminded me of my son that was homeless at times. And I said, sorry, I don't have any cash on me. I lied to him. And after he left, I looked into my wallet and I had a $10 bill on me. Like, yeah, I need to give it to him. I went up to him. He was still there. And I, you know, I took my cart back and I said, hey, look, I found this. I want you to have it. And I asked him how he's doing. Asked him if he was homeless. And I don't have much to offer. But I felt like I was doing God's work at that time. I didn't judge him. I didn't know what he was going to do. He maybe went and bought some alcohol or something with it. I don't know. It's not my place. But I felt like I was doing God's work right then. Not because, you know, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to be the good guy and just go give my money out and look at me. But I really felt that this young man needed it. And uh, and I kind of saw my son in him. So maybe I was wrong. But that's up to God to worry about. Maybe I helped him that night to stay warm. Or to buy something for shelter. Or to have food. So that's the type of message I would have shared with my congregation. A message of hope, of love. Something Christ-centered to help lift them. Instead, the bishop is sending out this message talking about not measuring up, not, not feeling worthy enough, you know, being blessed to, you know, fill God's life in us. You know, and he's using antics such as fasting and prayer for stuff that we're already entitled to. We're already entitled to God's healing. We're already entitled to the divinity within us because God gave it to us. Regardless if you believe in there's being a God or not, Regardless if you only believe that, hey, I know there's a universe out there. I know there's a galaxy out there. I know there's tons of galaxies out there. I don't know if there's any other human beings or intelligence or whatnot. But I don't hope there is. And, you know, as a member, believing member, I, uh, you know, I, I felt the spirit. And sometimes I had promptings. And so I think that there's an interconnection of somehow. I don't know that it's the Holy Ghost, or is or isn't. I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's the nearby trees communicating with me. I don't know if it's the dark matter that we can't see that's communicating with me. I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's just my mind and my subconscious. What does it matter? We have greatness within us. Stand, live, love. This whole religion, dogma, crap needs to change. If you're going to call yourself the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
Church of Christ, the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <clears throat> if you're going to associate yourself to a trademark, great. Awesome. Embrace that trademark. But, by golly, embrace it all and embrace the most important things. Rather than worrying about, you know, God, you know, not allowing sin in the least degree, why not focus more on the two great commandments of, hey, God loves you, you're awesome, you're doing great, you know, and with that greatness, you know, let's think of who else we can help, and please reach out if you need help. Why can't that be the message? Why is his message so literal and so finite in meaning that it pushes people away that are not in that narrative? Regardless if you're marginalized because you're sinning and you don't want to read it because you're sinning or because you've had a faith transition or because you've been talking bad on Facebook on political issues and you think he's talking about you or because of something else going on. And you think, oh, the bishop's talking about me. Or whatever. Give me a break. Love first. Cast out this fear crap from the talk. Cast out Satan from the talk. Why does he need to be in your little message? Cast him out. Don't let him be on your paper. Don't let them be of a word on your pulpit. And tell the members, hey, look, we all have bad inside us. It's up to us to fix it and cast it out. And it has nothing to do with your worthiness and your choices. It's up to you on if you're looking at being better and analyzing yourself while you're behaving the way you are and then seeking help to find it, whether if it's mental health professionals or whether if it's God, whatever it be. Straighten your own life. Fix the evil within. Find help. Don't go and have rage. Don't go and have thoughts of, hey, I'm not worthy, or anger, or don't have guilt. Cast guilt away. Do you get where I'm going? Having had a faith transition, I can't put myself in the box because I don't believe in the box. I believe in the universe and finding any truth and any good and embracing it. And they say that they're the only true church? Give me a break. So my last two thoughts, if I have time. Alright, so my two thoughts are... Church, my wife doesn't want to leave the narrative. She's not open to it. And that's fine. I'm not asking her to change her narrative. But she's asking me to try to change my narrative back to the way it is. 
there is absolutely no way for me to do that because of all of the messiness of the history of the past, the, the distant past, the far distant past, and the current in both doctrine, policies, and just narrative in general, culture. It is all messy. I can't condone sexual abuse happening and then the church defaming people, calling it persecution, and attorneys and liability being more important than the healing of these people that have had sexual abuse in their lives. And then because... You know, because they're swept under the rug, the members think that that's the right thing to do, and they sweep them under as well. What happened to finding the lot, the, the one, finding the lost sheep? What happened to that mantra? Right? Local leaders aren't trained sufficiently. They serve five years. They serve maybe ten years. Then they're off to something else. If they're good priesthood holders, they might be mission presidents or patriarchs or something else. They might be called to be a stake president somewhere else. And these men can be great, and they can be the humblest of people. But when church policies interfere with healing and avoiding trauma... The training is abhorrible. It's ridiculous. So I can't move forward. I can't go back to my old narrative. I don't want to anyway. But I can't put the pieces back together even if I wanted to. It's like a painter who is Christ painting this beautiful picture. And 2,000 years later... There's these men that are the curators that have over time cut out pieces here, there, replaced it here, there. They call it a restoration when actually it's more of a reformation. And we see that in the historical messiness. So I can't fix it. It's broken. You've known it's been broken for a long time. You try to go with the faithful narrative, but you marginalize those that are hurt you hope they stay but in all reality you know that you don't have any footing to help them stay you know that you have holes in the boat and your cell isn't you don't have a cell you only have a mass and you don't have a rudder well you have a rudder based off of the members having oars and pushing the boat forward but without those members pushing the boat forward you wouldn't go anywhere. And as far as steering, your rudder just doesn't really steer well. You're going in circles. So my proposition to you, church, if you know who I am, cut me a check. Say, here, here's a check. Here's your tithing money back. We realize you're hurting. Here's the NDA, sign it. We'll give you the check. Stake president doesn't have to know jack crap about what it is. 
I won't talk to anybody about what it is. I'll go and tell my wife and say, hey, look, I have funds to go and buy myself a mobile home. And it's your choice if you keep me or not. But I can't be in the church. She'll probably kick my butt to the curb. I'll go and buy a car and a mobile home. And I'll support my family. And I won't tell a single person about why I left. I won't go and teach about how it's so wrong. Who needs my voice when there's so many out there? If they ask, why'd you leave? Why'd you resign? Why aren't you with your family? I'll say, I can't talk about it. And I'll leave it at that. And if they press, I'll say, I've been asked by the church not to talk about my feelings. And I'll leave it at that. The other assumption will be is that I was excommunicated. <laughs> right? So give me all my past tithing money. You do, You probably know who I am. Let me be on my way. Or fix your shit. Become transparent. Let the church be one that can be transparent and honest and fix abuse issues. Rather than the Quorum of the Twelve and First Presidency being administrators, maybe let them go and actually serve and be the least of these. And go and hug people at Encircle. Go to the soup kitchens. Go to the poor and give them money. Stop living off of the church in any way. If the church is given housing or anything else, give it back. And say, hey look, we used to take money from funds of the church that were non-tithing or whatever justification you want to say, and say, we're no longer doing so. If members want to contribute to a fund for us to have food and have our energy bills, this is what they are. You're welcome to contribute directly to this fund or not. Otherwise, we'll be begging for food as a beggar. Wait, you mean their grandparents? And they're so busy, and they work 15-hour days, and they only get to have vacation, you know, in the summertime, you know, July, August time frame. And then they have conference, and then they have missionary presidents they have to train, and they have so much to do with missions, and then they have all these stakes that have to be reformed. They have to meet with 70. They're freaking busy, and they don't get to spend their time in retirement, right? Great. But don't claim to be the true church. If you want a big boys club and feel important, then great. Go feel important and call it a big boys club. Otherwise, fix the crap. Fix your doctrine. Fix your policies. Align it to Christ. Align it to the Book of Mormon. Be honest and truthful that you don't think the Book of Mormon is a historical translation. But maybe change it to be, hey, look, we believe it's inspired but not historical. Be honest. 
Let the members see what honesty really looks like. Let them criticize you. Christ was criticized left and right. But the Sadducees and Pharisees, they sure didn't like being criticized. Why don't you? Shouldn't you be like Christ? Haven't you had your second anointing? Hasn't he washed your feet? Are you not like him? Do you not have the gift of charity? You see my point? I have this narrative of how things look for a disciple of Christ, for someone that's a seer, prophet, and revelator. A very orthodox view. And I call bullshit. Because that's what it is. Because you can't stand up to it. You can't use the seer stones. The gift of healing is a crapshoot, right? Probably kill more people than you heal. So why don't you just be real? Yes, miracles happen, but not because of you, and not because of a priesthood that you claim to have. But if the universe or God gives that miracle, great. But don't go and push and marginalize people because they don't fit and align to your perfection or perception of perfection, your perfection of worthiness. So do me a favor, either fix the church where I can symbolically worship with my family in a non-literal state where my wife can hear from the brethren the literal issues and transition to a narrative that is right. Or just give me back my tithing money that I've paid over the years. I'll be on my way, I'll sign an NDA, and I'll be gone. I'll delete podcasts, I'll delete my Facebook accounts, whatever. And I'll start living my life the best way I know, as a father that loves his children and his presumably ex-wife, and I'll continue supporting her where I can, as well as my kids. All I'm asking is funds where I can have my own place and car and transportation and hopefully provide for my kids that are going to be traumatized by it because the narrative doesn't add up. And you've known about it for generations and you just keep kicking the can down the road. So either fix it or fix my situation. You don't know how? It's easy. Area authority, contact him. Say, hey, here's a check and an NDA for brother so-and-so. Which would be me, because you know who I am. And then you go talk to the stake president and say, hey, look, here's a sealed document. I don't want you looking at the document. Have brother so-and-so sign this document in private when he meets with you. You won't read it. He'll seal it back up. And then what? He'll seal it back up. You'll hand him another envelope that contains the check. He'll open it. He'll look at the amount. He'll see that it's signed by the church. And he'll walk away. You'll have a signed NDA paper in his hand, he won't know what it is because it's sealed, he'll send that off to the church. 
Bingo, done. Or you could send an attorney out to see me with the same thing, and the state president doesn't even need to know. And I'll sign my resignation right there. And I'll go tell my wife and say, hey, look, I've resigned from the church. I'm not going to be wearing my garments once I get some right undies. And I'm going to, I would prefer to stay in the house. I'd prefer to stay with the kids. I'd prefer to stay with you as my wife, as my companion. What's it going to be? And she'll say, get the hell out. And I'll have already bought the car that I need and the mobile home and the land that I need to be sufficient. No, that's not going to cost a lot. It's not that hard. Hell, the church could probably give me land, right? Hey, here's a plot of five acres. I just need it close to my family's all. So that's a pipe dream, right? Yeah, it is. It's a pipe dream. And I don't see the church ever contact me. I see them gaslighting me and causing all kinds of trauma in my life. And that's the church for you. And that's how life goes. And it'll suck and there will be suffering and members will gaslight and say, hey, look what happened. And if there's a judgment day, I'll be happy to stare across the judgment seat and talk to you about it. And I'll say, you screwed up my kids, you screwed up my family. And they'll say, no, we didn't. It was the prior generations. It's Joseph Smith's fault. It's Brigham Young's fault. You get my point. Things need fixed. Fix them. Fix them. Or at least become a humanitarian branch of actually loving and caring for humanity. Fix it. Well, that's my two cents, right, for the day. But it's powerful. It's the pains of someone that's transitioned. Doesn't mean I'm right now. Follow your path. Do good. Be kind. Peace out.